Welcome to another distinct nostalgia by MIM. Brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. Staying well, staying home. Some classic British comedy now as we remember a series which has bizarrely never really been repeated in terms of its characters and representation of a black British family. Based around a London hairdresser's, Desmond's had a huge cult following and lasted for six series and an amazing 71 episodes. It only really ended because of the sad death of the main star Norman Beaton, who played Desmond Ambrose. Well, 31 years after it first began, we've been chatting to Matilda Thorpe, who played Mandy in the hit Channel 4 sitcom. Enjoy! Matilda, it's lovely, lovely to speak to you. Before we talk specifically about the Desmonds, the the kind of comedy that it was focused on a black family. People remember the Desmonds as being quite a, a pivotal moment, but there have been um, shows before, hadn't there? They've been the Fosters, and I yes. think there have been no problem on Channel Four as well, haven't there? At one point, do you remember? I that? think they had, and I think there was the Real McCoy as well, which I it was a sketch show, I think, as yeah. well around the same time, but not a sitcom in the same way as, as you said, the Fosters. And I think Humphrey Barclay made the Fosters and then went on to make Desmonds. Yeah, and who was our, our producer? Humphrey Barclay was London Weekend Television, wasn't it? Yeah, he was. He was. He was. Innovative. He was, he is an extraordinary man. He had the most amazing history working with all the sort of early Monty Python people. Um, he'd, he'd met them all. He was one of that group that all came from Cambridge or Oxford and, and became a producer and had worked with everybody that was the new rising star at the time. And then he just led the way on sitcom, I think. And he saw that there wasn't enough television and 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 uh, entertainment with with obviously the black community and was very powerful in getting changing that and getting it on and he with Trix Worrell who was our creator writer went to him with a with an idea that he said he just picked up as he was on the bus to the meeting he said he looked out in the hat in uh, Hackney and just saw where he was and, and looked and saw a typical barber shop and it just gave him an idea. And he, as he was going to the meeting and he sat in the office with Humphrey Barclay and said, well, actually, I'd like to pitch this idea of a black barbershop. And Humphrey said, I love it. Send me, a, send me a script. And it went from there. And I think one of the most sort of extraordinary parts of it was that it was just about a family. And that was their determination and mission was that it wasn't going to be, oh, look, this is black culture. This, what they wanted to, sh- to do was just to make it entertainment. And it totally succeeded. And everybody loved it. Uh, and they said there are, our audiences were in Dubai, in Ireland. It was, it was universal because it was funny and it was about people that you could connect with and laugh with and laugh at if necessary. So it was, a, it was an extraordinary programme for its time and has never yet been repeated which is a travesty. We'll talk about that in a moment because, I mean, when you say it's not even it's not been repeated, there haven't been many shows similar since, really, to be honest, when you think about it in I a think, way. I think aimed at that family uh, sitcom time, there hasn't been any. And I think that is extraordinary because everyone thought, well, here we are, we've got it going now. And I, I know how shocked and surprised everyone was afterwards that nothing came from it. I mean, we, we did... Um, Pork Pie, the sort of spin-off series for a couple of years afterwards, but nothing else new has ever taken that next step on. 
How much do you think was uh, in getting it off the ground? Obviously, I know you've been at London Weekend, but this was Channel 4, and Channel 4 was a new company. It was uh, doing new things. It was being risque. I mean, he'd done very well to get the Fosters on London Weekend, of course, on ITV. Yeah, yeah. It didn't last very long, about a year, I think. But what was it about Channel 4? Was there something about the Channel 4 ethos that helped, do you think? Yes, I think I think uh, several of the of the sort of production team and, and at Channel Four were interested in expanding and and being a multiple ethnic diverse you know channel rather than it just being um, the typical sort of BBC One, ITV, BBC Two, and I think that's what pushed it forward. And um, we had some fantastic producers on there, and I think everyone was more open to, to a different way of doing television. And, and I think Desmond's was absolutely um, a perfect example of how they move things forward. Charlie Higson was one of our producers who's gone on to do, I mean, he does Ricky Gervais and all sorts of things. But he, he was really different and much more daring, I think, and determined to change things. Just going back a bit to the Fosters, I was a little bit too young to remember the Fosters, actually. Could you just remind us a little bit about, what, if you can remember, what, what that was about? I, I, yeah, I don't have a good memory of it, I'll be honest. It wasn't, um, I was aware of it, but not really. Um, possibly because I was, at, you know, busy at drama school and not watching so much TV at the time. But I know that some people from there obviously moved over to, to Desmond's, particularly um, Norman Beaton, who was Desmond's in, the, in, the, in our show, had been in it, I understand. And so I think... It, it wasn't a trial, but it was a good start. And I think they then took a couple of people from there and moved it on to Desmond's. So tell us a bit about how you got into it and how you heard about it the first time. Right, I, I had a sort of... I didn't know anything about it. I was actually doing a, a comedy show in, ta- in, in, in the Canal Cafe in the West End. And my agent at the time had said, oh, they're looking for someone just to do an episode of someone in a bank in a brand new sitcom. It's just one ep, it's got two lines and, you know, you don't even have to interview it. I've just suggested they use you because you're in comedy. So I, I went and, and it was absolutely in its early stages. They were sort of writing it as we went. And I, yes, yeah, so I was behind the, the till in the bank and I, and I think I just said a couple of, <laughs> couple of things. But I did it in a sort of posh character way. And I think it got a laugh and Humphrey Barkley, the producer, came up to it at the end. He said, would you mind coming back next week? That's how much they hadn't written next week's show. And they were filming six of them. He said, could you come back next week? We think we, think we might build you into this. And that's how I got it. So no audition, no idea. But the atmosphere was like, it was like a school holiday. It was, everyone was so jolly and excited. And, and that wonderful thing of being creative so we we could slightly improvise around things to see if it worked and that was the atmosphere I think people don't realize that although obviously Trix Warrell was a brilliant writer there wasn't a sense of let's work this let's let's see how this goes let's change things and Humphrey Barclay was very much part of that and so I came back the next week and they'd give me a bit more and they started to see that there could be a relationship between the eldest son and the girl who he works with in the bank, who's obviously the exact opposite. And she had a huge crush on him. And it was a, it was a really good comedy setup. But I had no idea about it at all. And then it was just, oh, could you come back next week? I think we might want you back. And then it, and then it just snowballed from there. 
And then I did all seven years in the end, but it, it came from absolutely not, not knowing, which is always the best way. So your character did actually evolve, basically. She completely evolved. I mean, she, she was just, I don't want to sit, this doesn't sound grand, but she was sort of made around me, if you like. I mean, they saw an idea, a character, and they went, oh, that would be funny. And that's how it developed. And then we had some really funny scenes in the end where, you know, I mean, it was old fashioned comedy, but she had a huge crush on him. And, and that, but it, it led all the way to the final bit where he proposed and we got married and, you know, things went on from there. But it, it, it was a really funny will they, won't they set up, which of course is classic, but it, but it, was, it was different in, in its way and, and wonderful, funny. And had you ever done sitcom before? Uh, I had, well, I, I've always done it. I mean, I came out of drama school and went straight into a kid's show called Words, 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 which was all comedy sketches. I've always done comedy. It's just my natural bent. I longed to be Shakespearean and was very put out at drama school when they <laughs> kept giving me the comedy bits. In the end, you realise it's because I'm probably better at that than I am at the dramatic Shakespeare. And as much as I love Shakespeare, I wasn't probably... They could see that I had a leaning and therefore they played me to my strengths, which is very nice of them. And so I just fell into it. And I do love it. It's absolutely... I've always been funny and locking about and joking and writing comedy and it's just what I do so I was I was thrilled and and again that opportunity to make something work something that's funny make it even more funny by adding something or how she says it or how the pause before it all those things which you know feed it and make it even more amusing obviously yes they've been the fosters but this was new in in a way because it was the first yeah, time yeah. It's been something that became yeah. so, so big uh, around uh, you know a, a black family and all the rest of it yeah just talk a little bit about the authenticity of it, because there were two things there. They, 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 I suppose they were wanting to be as authentic as possible, but they were also wanting to have as wide an audience as possible, and people wouldn't necessarily always necessarily understand certain elements of culture and things like that. You know, was that was that a challenge at times? I wasn't aware of that because I, I know that the through line was here's a family like any other family. They've got three kids. He works in the shop downstairs. That, that's universal. And so that was, uh, that was easy. And I also think if they'd had to try and go explain themselves, it, it wouldn't have worked. We had, you know, we had the funny character of the student, Matthew, and he was always sitting in, in, in the uh, barbershop spouting with, with um, pork pie, Ram John Holder. And they had a funny little communication, funny little riff. They kind of hate each other, but can't leave each other. And I think... If you'd had to try and explain that certain students from Africa, certain countries in Africa are kind of very academic and always spouting, you know, it wouldn't have been funny. You didn't need to explain. And I think that was the beauty of it, that you didn't need to explain what was there. People know it, whether whatever country, whether it's Italian or American, or, there's always these different types of people, different caricatures in our culture. And that's what it was. But it was very British for all of that. It was very British. And that was the warmth of it. There was an enormous amount of love in there. And I think within the story, and I think also that is universal. So that it was a very loving family, just trying to get through each day and all the people that came into the shop. And again, I think it, it, there was no explanation needed. And if you had had to explain it, it wouldn't have worked. And people can make that leap. They don't have to have everything on a plate. They can make an effort to understand or I think 
I think the jokes and the setup were so clear. You know, Ram John was so funny as, as Port Pie. And then Matthew, they were so such different characters that the combination just made it really, really amusing. So I think it was successful because it was such a, a, a well-known, well-tried family sitcom with all the usual stuff. But it, it had that new feel about it, which is that this has, these people haven't been used before in a sitcom. And look, we're all laughing as well. We're all in the same thing. And of course, that there is something inherently funny about a hairdresser's barber shop, to be honest, isn't there, when you think about it? I mean, I go to the barbers and sometimes it's all right, but sometimes I dread going because I know I'm going to have these inane conversations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think um, Trix Worrell, the writer, said, you know, the thing about a particular barbershop that he he wanted to write about was that particular environment people come in for they don't just come for a haircut they come for hours the talk you know the food the coffee the the gossip the, and that's where this life of the of the community often is so it's more than a barbershop and it's a great idea because you can always have people new people coming in and people have to walk through the shop to get upstairs to the flat uh, upstairs so the family are coming through the characters are coming through. You know, it, it's a perfect setup because everyone, it's like a train station. Everyone's got to come through this this place. And uh, you, yeah, new characters each week or lovely repetitive characters that come in each week. And you, oh, we had a couple of, um, they, they were always in the barbershop. I didn't really have a lot to say, but they were always there. And, and every week when they were, we were introduced because it was always before, uh, done for a live audience. You know, people loved these, every member of that, whether they had lines or not, they were they were loved. Tell us about that of doing it in front of a live audience because a lot of these sitcoms of that period were all done in front of a live audience. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and you can tell that. You can watch things like, you know, Only When I Laugh, Rising Down, Pie You Being Served, whatever. You can tell yeah. straight away. You know when there's a live audience and when there isn't, don't you? What does that do for the actors? I mean, it must be tremendously nerve-wracking, but also quite special as well, I suppose. Yeah, I would say... It's fantastic. It's like an injection. You know, having having done, you know, a lot of live theatre and telly, the difference is dramatic because in live theatre, you sort of up your performance in a way that you don't if it's just a camera in your face. And the warmth, the noise, the breathing and the expectation from this very large group of audience members in front of you, it, it just made it completely different. The laughter... Often we would have to retake a scene once, twice, three times because they were laughing so much we couldn't move on. And it was lovely. And also Norman was so good. He was such a pro. I learned so much from him as when he was Desmond. And he was he would come on and introduce everybody and speak to everybody. And so he'd be like the warm up man, would he, at the beginning? What well, we had a warm up comedian, a, a couple of people, but we but he would come on and he would always talk. And he just was the father of it all. Uh, he was just an extraordinary professional, extraordinary. Even in the last series when he was really unwell and he would sit in the wings of the studio with a nurse and on oxygen when he came to come on he was out there he was delivering he was just magnetic so yeah live audience I think is fantastic you've got the the comfort of knowing that you can retake it if necessary you can always refilm but it 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 was a fantastic relationship between the audience and the cast because Everyone was just so upbeat and happy and, and longed to find things funny. 
and loved all the old repetitive jokes and and then the shocking new lines it was just those things just got such a roar of of laughter that it was a very high energy um experience actually and in terms of the characters obviously you you had your character but who out of the yeah. characters who was the one that would tickle you most was the one that probably likely to corp for you to corpse as it were oh um i was fairly good at not but probably jeff francis who played michael who played opposite me because most of our scenes were together and we did have a lot of sort of it was got a bit slapstick i mean we you know we were i was fainting and all sorts of things and so you know though it, it would obviously always be him but there was a lot of laughter there was a lot of laughs uh, amongst everybody but but not in a kind of mean oh this is our private joke way it was just this is fun you know and this is funny and pe- people messed up it was funnier which people always love to see people go wrong so um it, it was yeah I mean I Jeff and I had a nice little bubble going on of, of you know we were always in the bank most of the time and so they'd cut they'd have the family scene then they cut to the bank and that was our little world it was our, our relationship was was very sort of high energy um, and a bit, uh, well, how would I describe it? Very sort of um, connected, excited, what's going on, lots of missed moments and those things. And yeah, a bit of slapstick, a lot of falling over and looking behind doors and things. So there's a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, what, what, would you, what would you say? Out of, I mean, it lasted a long time. It was on for many, many years, wasn't it? Um, seven, what, well, overall, yeah, seven years, yeah. Quite a long time for comedy, really. It's certainly now. Yeah, it was. Um, we what, grew up, so, actually, yeah, go on. You, you grew up in it, if you're going to about to Well, say. we <laughs> kind of did, and because we started, and by the end of it, Jeff and I were both parents of our own children. Um, you know, we, we sort of started in our, you know, in our 20s, and then as kind of relatively new people, and then we really did sort of share life uh, together. I can remember talking in the in the, you know, rehearsal room about his baby and mine, <laughs> you know, and we were just growing up through it and yet we were always this couple uh, it was a really nice relationship to have it was really lovely and we've met up a lot since then and there's a great bond between us because we just had this amazing journey together now seven years to say it's a long time yeah. for, i mean it's not a long time when you think of something like how you've been served which lasted about 13 years and i've got those 85 episodes how many how many episodes yeah. did desmond have Let's do you know look. i actually don't i don't actually know i've got it here somewhere actually it was well, there was six series uh, six series of Desmonds and then two of Port Pie, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, six, six series of Desmonds. And in those yeah. six series of Desmonds, there was 71 episodes. Wow. That's a lot, isn't it? Those sitcoms today, it's only like six, isn't it? Six at six a time. Yeah, we, we would we'd rehearse two at a time, often. Or we'd rehearse for ten days and then, yeah, we'd, it, was, it was quite intense. It was usually about five months of the year that we would be making it. Then we'd have a break. But, uh, yeah, it was a lot. And then, so what happened is Trix, I think, did the first couple of series and then they brought in a team of writers. But again, we were all very friendly with them. They would sit in and, you know, I've I've bumped into some since. And again, they made the opportunity for black writers to come and write it. You know, they made sure that it it retained its its whole point and structure, which was that this was a, a show about a black community written by the black community. So they understood deep down who everyone was. And that, that's where the comedy came from, I think. Just the knowledge and the knowing of these people. It wasn't sort of just anybody. Was there one particular storyline over the years that you remember most fondly? Yeah, it probably sounds a bit indulgent, but it was the, it was the episode where Michael um, proposes to Mandy because you don't really 
you see the audience, but you don't know how it's how you're received. And, you know, I wasn't one of the main family in that regard. And he, he finally proposes. And the audience became so loud that they had to take it about four or five times. Because every time that moment happened, I, I realised how much they loved the characters, how totally accepted I was. And it was a lovely, it was a lovely episode to film because the joy from the audience, they were really thrilled that we were getting together as, as characters. And that finally, after all these years of on-off, will they, won't they, you know, uh, it finally meant that they would be together. And they were so thrilled. Um, they literally cheered and it was, it was really moving and it felt lovely, yeah. Distinct Nostalgia is produced by MIM, and if you like what we do, then please consider supporting us on Patreon. Every penny helps us to make even more amazing content just for you. Go to distinctnostalgia.com and click on the donate button. Thank you. He's a household name. Hello. Mr. John Sim. My gosh, I'm recording from my airing cupboard. Jesus. Yeah. New to Distinct Nostalgia. Hello, is that Monsieur Joe Calzaghi? It is. What tea bags do you buy, Joe? Tetley's, mate. See, if Tetley's get older, this podcast will go nuts. Joe Calzaghi <laughs> is the Tetley's tea drinker. Join Queerest Folk star Craig Kelly as he reminisces with friends from the worlds of showbiz and sport. Hello? Is that Mr Terry Hall? Uh, yes, it is. Hi, Craig. <laughs> I was about ten, and I didn't know yeah. what a political song was. Ghost Town, I knew that that was. And yeah. so you connected with a ten-year-old. You know, the idea has always been with me, you communicate, this is your voice, you express your feelings, and to recognise that other people feel this too is a great thing, really. Kelly's Heroes. God, that was amazing. Every Tuesday until September 1st. I will speak to you anon. Distinct drama. Fresh and original. Mr. Fenn, I assure you that I have not come here to murder you, however tempted I may be. A terse 40-minute drama set in a US correctional facility. Oh, I see. You wish to be sent to the electric chair. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 Mr. Fenn. That would not do at all. Starring the award-winning Joe Sims. In short, Mr. Fenn, you are what may be regarded as disposable humanity. Don't you dare think that I started all of this out of political ambition. Yes, sir. Yes, Mr. Daniels, I do think that. And to show you that there is such a thing as redemption. To show you that you are educable and have potential. Show me! Show me, Mr. Daniels. I think you're done. Show me my potential. As we forgive them. Available now. To place yourself in the center of a dream doesn't make it a bad one. And this dream, my dream, in whatever depths of despair it may have been born, has become the start of something real. Listen at distinctnostalgia.com or search for Distinct Drama wherever you get your podcasts. I think it's important in a sitcom, actually, to for several things really. One, to be able to believe the characters, um, to understand that they they're real. You know, sometimes yeah, they bring yeah. they brought certain sitcoms back in recent times, and I thought, no, I don't believe in them anymore. It just mm, doesn't work mm. anymore. I think no, you have to believe that it's real. So if it's porridge, you, yeah, have, I think you so. have to believe that it's Ronnie Barker in prison. You know what I mean? Um, but the other thing yeah. is, you have to. I think you have to have 
empathy with them. You have to care about them all, don't yes. you? Know, yes. It's not uh, a yeah. comedy isn't just about laugh a minute, is it? It's about empathy as well. Absolutely. And I think, you know, Carmen Monroe, who played Shirley the mum, she was fantastic at that because... You know, as you say, it, I mean, there were lots of really high comic characters. Um, there was some funny aunts. There was um, Susu. There was Beverly. There were very high emotional people that came in and, and you know, but then you've got real, you did have reality. And I think there were some difficult things. There were things, I think, with Lee, the character who's who didn't know who his mum was. And, you know, there were, there were dark, not dark moments, but much more... Um, more painful moments sometimes and that wasn't that was a good thing because it did as you said it grounded everyone in reality it wasn't just as you said are you being served which is heightened and funny and uh, it, it was true and they did talk about the old days they did talk about going back one day to the Caribbean and, and where they wanted to go and you know they he longed to go back Th- those were real things those were little nun- sort of nuggets of truth and I think they added to the weight of this show which was broad it and it it wasn't just a sort of quick gag a minute and then out you had a family who and you knew their history as well you knew their history I think that was very important good good comedy comes out of serious things doesn't it quite a bit yeah uh, yeah yeah. talking about some of those those, um smaller characters uh you mentioned Beverly quite funny I love Beverly she was a local gossip wasn't she and had issues with her ailment, always going to her ailments and all that kind of stuff. Just remind us of her, if you can, a little bit. Yeah, she was hilarious. And what was interesting was that she was nothing like that in real life, but she's such a fantastic actress. Yeah, she was always anxious and worried and she would come in and be in such a state about this and and everyone calm her down. And I think people recognised that there was always somebody, you know, in in their community that was always a bit worked up and, and worried. And she would, yeah, she was just really funny and she... Again, you didn't have to be on stage. She didn't have to be on there for very long just to make such an impact. Everyone loved Beverly. There was another um, Susu, Mona Hammond, who sort of pretended to be in love with Ram John um, Port Pie. She was a real trickster. She was, you know, doing... I think she was the sister of Shirley, I think, actually. But she was... Mona Hammond, she was brilliant. And she was doing him over and she was cheating on him and all that sort of stuff. But again, not... Not permanent characters, but wonderful offers, wonderful offers. And again, not sort of perfect people, not neighbour ding dong coming in, you know, ha ha ha. It was real people who weren't perfect, who had issues, who had annoyances that we were, you know, that the family were kind of, they had to bear, but they were irritated, but they were loving. So they put up with it. But but that's, those ones were fantastic. Uh, Matthew also had a sister Sheila Hyde played her. She was, again, wonderful, very commanding, very bossy, demanded that he come home and he didn't want to go home. And, you know, those, there were some great offers. Again, great strong women characters, if I can get into that. But, you know, there were some fantastic women characters. It was equal in that show. Again, quite rare. And I think it wasn't just the wife and the two kids. It was a lot of female characters with really funny women diverse from ages and and who they were and where they were from and that that made it powerful I mean I was in there too and I you know I wasn't obviously I'm not black I'm I'm white and that that was what was wonderful about it there were there were white characters there were black characters it it absolutely reflected um Peckham at the time and I think that was again its power not to just make it isolated 
and completely cut off. It allowed everybody in and everybody was, you know, had something to offer. And that's what came over when you were working on the show was that we were all part of it and it was a complete team effort. Obviously, you know, it was based around a particular family and there was a particular yeah. number of what, four or five characters were part of the family. But yeah. there was a lot of other characters. I mean, yeah, there were when I'm looking through it, I'm thinking, you know, actually, that's unusual for a sitcom to have so many extra characters all over the place, isn't it, really? There, there are a lot of guest characters as time went on. I mean, as you said, how many shows do you say? A hundred or something shows? 71. Um, 71. 71. You know, uh, so there were a lot of guests. Almost every week or every other time, there was a there was a guest character that would be connected in some way to one of the main characters. Uh, so you'd focus a bit more on their story. There were a lot of people who came in. So yeah, there was the was the five in the family, three kids and and two parents. And then there were the people who were regulars in the barber shop. And then there were say me who was in worked with the eldest son. And Gloria had a best friend Kim. And then Sean who worked was at school and had his mates. And then you know and then the boyfriends, the girlfriends, the love interests. Lee who always came in. It was wider and wider. But again, I think maybe that's they wouldn't do it now. Maybe it'd be too expensive. But but that was the freshness of it, is that it was always something new. It was always changing. It was always moving on. We weren't stuck with the same people trying to, you know, play out the same kind of thing. New people came in, new characters came in. That created new story. So that was clever. And all the characters had a different dress sense as well, didn't they? All wore different kinds Definitely. of clothes. Definitely. Well, right? Beverly, you know, was all kind of coat and hat and, and very sort of trussed up. Susie was very flirty and very... Um, deliciously sort of evocative of you know an evening and out at the club or something she was she was really funny um yeah so everyone had their own costume and I I had my own sort of smart business wear and and Michael too he was very much in the sort of business the banker um outfit uh, yeah everyone had their own image and it was great it was just and it was a lot of color in, in the costume as well in, the, in our clothes you know it was very visually it's very bright even though the barbershop was quite dull and in a way, there was nothing exciting about it, never changed. There was a lot of colour within it. And they had a lot of music. We had choir, amazing choirs coming in and singing and dancing. And, you know, there were Christmas shows where they, they had lots of fantastic stuff. And, and I think they just enjoyed the whole culture that they were celebrating. And I think that was infectious for the audience. Was most of it done inside or was the bits and bobs done outside as well? There were bits and bobs filmed outside. So we would always do the outside filming at the beginning of the series. And then we'd, so the main stuff was filmed in the studio. And then we would play the, um, the outside stuff to the audience. And that was all filmed ahead of time. Is there an actual hairdresser's uh, yeah, shop there, that there, exists? There yeah. is. Yeah. So that, that theme tune with everyone standing in front of it, that was, that was it, yeah. And does that still exist today? People can go visit. I don't know, actually. I, I don't know. I yeah. don't know. But yeah. Because people still turn up at open all hours and in Doncaster. Arkwright's <laughs> shop. They still get that use that actually was a hairdresser's. That was always oh, made that was always turned into a uh oh, that's into a hardware shop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the lady who had it used to uh, take off, you know, six weeks or whatever it was while they came and filmed there, you know. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I mean I don't think they ever they filmed outside this shop, but I don't know whether it, it was actually. I don't know actually. We just went and f- did photos and things in front of it. Now you, you talked about the serious side and um, you know, we've got in the issue in the news at the moment the issue of, you know, Black Lives Matter and all the rest of it and the issue yes, of pre- prejudice yes, is, yes. is still in the air and all that kind of thing. It, yes. it, 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 it did 
tackled prejudice, didn't it? But it also it tackled prejudice. It did around the actual within the actual communities themselves towards each other, yeah. towards other people within. You know, not just prejudice, broad prejudice, but prejudice within ethnic minorities as well. It tackled that, didn't it? It did. I mean, there was, there was, you know, uh, Matthew was looked down upon by pork pie. You know, there, there was all this different levels. Of course, in every culture, there's always different levels of hierarchy and how people feel about each other and differences in race and differences in, in culture. Um, it was tackled, but, but care, very carefully, very respectfully. And as always, if you can make it funny, I think that made it educational without people knowing that it was being rammed on their throat you know I think um, George Orwell said every every joke is a tiny revolution and that's absolutely right so when you make a joke you actually are looking at things from a different perspective but without kind of hammering it home you're making people laugh at something without having to be you know without being told this this is how it is and I think again that's the beauty of Desmond's is there was education in there and it was very um, helpful, I think, to people to watch it and connect with the, with this group of people because it educated you. And there were lots of differences between them. And they did have to sometimes, I think, combat them and face them a little bit. But in, in always in a very gentle and loving way. But that was quite educational. And, I, and again, ahead of its time and nothing's been done since like that. Didn't, um, just reading here, that uh, to break the ice over all this kind of thing around the prejudice and the issues that came up, didn't um, was it Matthew used to say, there's an old African saying or something? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And that's very funny. But, you know, I think in, in so many cultures, like I said, they, they'd said to us, they said we were warned sometimes about where we would travel in the world because it was so popular. And they were saying, be careful when, if you go to Abu Dhabi because you'll be mobbed. And... And, and Ireland was a, one of the biggest audiences they had, was Ireland, which is fascinating because, you know, this isn't their immediate necessarily, at the time, immediate experience, but they understood it. They understood it so well. And, yeah, I think um, Matthew was fantastic for that. The laugh, because he was this academic who who was or constantly a student, an endless student, even in his 40s. You know, he, he was just always learning. And, and it, was, it was very interesting because there were these differences. We didn't always know about, I didn't know about the different things that people felt, but, but they were used in, a, in that lovely comedic way, gently touched upon, lovingly laughed at. And there you are, now you understand it, but there's not, it was so clever, wasn't it? Because you didn't have to be negative about it. You could be, do it in such a positive way. And it was really, really cl- sort of interesting. It was really interesting to watch it now and see how these things work. These certain subjects were touched upon, but very, very carefully. So you say it was popular in Ireland and in various other places around yeah, the world. Yeah, it's huge, yeah. How popular was it here? What kind of feedback did you get? I mean, were you, were you recognised on the street? Yeah, I was actually, and I still am, and that's how, that always surprises me. I went to Ikea and I was getting some chairs last summer, and somebody went, oh, it's Mandy, and, and we hear this a lot. People say, I grew up with you. I, grew, I mean, obviously not just me, Desmond. He said, I grew up with you. When are they bringing it back? I, oh, my God, it was the only show on TV that was reflected my family. Yeah, we were re- recognised a lot, and still are, still are. And I know that, less so for me, but I know some of the main characters absolutely constantly recognised because this was a huge show for people as I understand it I that the people have said 
because it was the only one of its kind and it went on for so long. It was a family thing. It was about a big family with all generations and all the family at home in the generations could share it and watch it. And in those days where we all watched the same telly before, you know, everything changed, families would sit around and watch it. Um, so every generation was watching you and therefore a lot of people did recognise you. Distinct comedy, fresh and original. Hello, officer, I want to report a robbery. A new series about the secret world of nocturnal security. Yeah, I ordered a Chinese from the Golden Moon and they forgot to send me a can of Coke. A distinct comedy presentation. Well, yeah, I consider it an emergency. I'm gasping here. That idiot on the day shift stolen the last of my flicking tea bags. Barry Pigeon protects. Well, I'm telling you, if you lot don't sort this out, it's going to be like big trouble in Little China down here. Follow the exploits of Barry Pigeon, the best night security guard in Chorley, as he discusses everything from his wife... She was too big for Zumba, so she signed up for Bumba. It's like Zumba, only they just sit on their ass and flap their arms around a bit. ...to his favourite food. I love eggs, bloody love them. Poached, scrambled, fried, <laughs> scotched, cream. I love them all! From Andrew Birtwell and Kurt Brooks, starring Roe David McClelland, and guest-starring Royston Mayo and Bruce Jackson. Columbo meets Sherlock, that's me. Barry Pigeon protects. I know what people think about this job, but it's not all sitting on your ass, drinking brews and watching Challenge TV. Uh, I sometimes bring a book as well. Watch now at distinctnostalgia.com. Drama. Fresh and original. We're not here to cause damage. We just want a hearing to be heard like any citizen of this country. Distinct Drama presents Sylvia. Men working in the same factory have time for lunch simply because they are men. Written by Leslie Strachan and directed by Colin Guthrie. You have no voice here. Only the father has the right we to win. ask. Distinct Drama presents a powerful exploration of the relationship between the Pankhurst sisters. We will not bargain for the vote. Burn, maybe. Not bargain. A Leslie Strachan production. Your hunger strikes are not for nothing. We will not be eclipsed by who my sister is sleeping with. Available to listen now. Search for Distinct Drama wherever you get your podcasts. Or go to distinctnostalgia.com. Christabel is losing the membership. The militancy surrounds us. The government is running scared. That is the opportunity. How can you be so blind? I'm going to test you now. Do you oh, remember? God, I probably won't remember a thing. Do you, do you remember the theme tune? Oh, yeah. I don't remember the words, but I, it's actually being used for a commercial at the moment. And I, I, I don't know which supermarket it is or something. And I, my, I put my head up the other day and was like, what? The, and then I texted the writer and went, you didn't know that the Desmond's theme tune is being used for whichever one it is. And he went, yeah, yeah, we've had done the deal. <laughs> so, okay, fine. <laughs> um, you hear it, it's iconic, if I can use that word. That's that song, that tune, absolutely was it. Can you remind us? Like Coronation Street. Can you remind? Because no, I can't remember the words. I can't remember the words. <laughs> you know, I would you love know, to sing it. Can you hum it? Can you hum it? London City. We come from something. Well done. Well, that was memorable. It's very memorable. That was very good. That's very good. So. Going full circle, Thank we you. said we said at the beginning that we were going to discuss where we are now to an extent and how yeah. it was a pivotal program. It was on for yeah. six years, uh, yeah. six or seven years, yeah. seventy-one episodes. But it is amazing, isn't it, that a it's not been repeated, 
and B, we've never it, it had It actually any... has... Is it been it has been repeated once, a lot, has actually. It? Right, it's, okay. Yeah, it's it's been on um, London TV and then, oh yeah, it has, it has. But it not, it has. I've not seen it on things like, I've not seen it on mainstream. Mm, I, not on like, mainstream, no. You've got to go a long way, long way yeah, down to find yeah. it. But it's never been, re- when I say repeated, it's never been repeated in the sense no, of nobody's ever done anything since like it, have they? You're right, you're right. And you're why, right. Why do you think that is? I wish I knew. I, I'm, I'd love to be able to tell you why. Uh, I don't know whether it's politics within the television companies or it doesn't make any sense to me. And I, it seems crazy when it was such a success that they wouldn't, television companies wouldn't go, want to carry that success on with something new. I don't understand. I don't know. Um, it's a tragedy, actually. It's, a, it's appalling, if I can be as strong as that, that they haven't done, gone on with, and, and made something new like that it doesn't make sense and um they should be ashamed i think really uh, and we still seem to struggle don't we just in terms of getting even in the soaps i mean you, you do have there are some black characters in i mean coronation street has only recently got its yeah full, yeah all black family yeah. as it were but eastenders has had quite a few black characters for a while so you've got people in there um, you've got black characters absolutely and that's improving and that's getting better and, and people are making more effort now to be more inclusive which is fantastic Desmond's was just out and out, you know, just like we have a white sitcom, we had a black sitcom. And it doesn't make any sense that that's been the only one in, you know, it, why? I'd like to know. I don't know what the answer is. And I think they should have made more use of the original creator who's got so many great ideas and it doesn't make any sense to me. I wish I had an answer, I don't. And, and of course, as you say, there were quite a lot of actors which... Um you know, did very well in that, and, and actors that cut their teeth, black actors, which, uh, you know, maybe not done, had the opportunity to do things anymore, you know, before that kind of yeah. thing. So yeah. It, and the writers, as you say, opened up opportunities as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a great, you know, great place for people to, you know, and as you say, they just haven't carried on. It's very, very strange. What did it do? What did it do for you? What did you, what did, did, it, did it help oh, you in terms of your career? No question it helped me. It helped me in a lot of ways. It helped me just being in it in terms of experience. Um, working with that incredible, the older part cast, the family, the, the father, the mother, um, Ram John, the pork pie. I learned so much. They had been amazing jazz musicians and they'd been in the RSC. They, they were really solid, incredible actors. And watching them, their professionalism was a great, great lesson for someone, me, young, coming in, you know, my first long-running TV series, so I learned a huge amount. And, I, and also, as you said, being in front of a live audience, recording TV, that, that's a, a really big deal. And, you know, you don't just get away with a couple of takes and you've got an audience to, to deliver to. So you've got to, to step up and be very, very good at what you do. Uh, audiences don't want to have to watch it four times. So you've got to deliver in the moment. So I learned all of that. Having, having that incredible um, experience and and education definitely I've used uh, going forward and even now yes I'm, I'm people know me for that people know me for that and, and I'm extremely grateful for it I just wish there was more of it just a few more questions um yeah because we've not really mentioned much about the, the two the, the main characters actually so um Carmen Monroe played Shirley yes. Ambrose yes um, yes tell us a bit about her what did you what did you learn from working with her she's a fantastic actress she- isn't she She's an incredible actress and she, her body of work is extraordinary and she's still working. 
and um, she she brought that sort of calm but very very professional experience into the room. So a lot of people were having a lot of fun. She was always on it. She'd learnt her lines. She was there. She was charming. She was kind. I'm so full of admiration for Carmen Monroe. She's extraordinary actress and her diversity in what she's played from being Shirley to some of the you know the plays she, she does at the, in the National Theatre and various other things she she's just such a consummate actress and although it looks easy comedy and I'm not saying it's it's not saving lives but she really you know learning how to deliver the lines learning how to just keep keep being so constant with her performance and and during rehearsal, and we, you know, like we did two shows at a time sometimes, and she was just fantastic. I'm, I'm very privileged to have worked with all of them, actually. The older cast were all very experienced people, and, uh, and then there was a sort of younger crowd who were all a bit excitable. Um, and I think we learnt so much from them. And the producers, you know, Humphrey Bart and Paulette Randall, who, and the writer, were just extraordinary people to be around. You don't know it at the time. You don't realise how lucky you are. Looking back, you think, wow, that was a, that was a fantastic thing that happened to me. And, it, and I walked into it. I didn't know I was going to... I didn't even audition for it. That was the amazing thing. I just walked into it and yeah. was welcomed with open arms. Fantastic experience. Golden time, golden time. Yeah, um, yeah. I suppose really. we ought to sort of leave the last word, really, with the main star of the show, who, of course, was Norman playing... Norman yes. playing yes. Esmond Ambrose. And, of course, he died in... 1994 um yes tell us a bit about him obviously you, you mentioned earlier on he was ill towards towards the end he, he, yeah he was he was an extraordinary man uh absolutely sort of a live wire fit he was a real physical actor you know he he, he used his whole body when he was performing he wasn't just sort of spouting words i don't know enough about his history but i know he came over he, he was had been a jazz musician and uh he got into acting but again that professionalism that which is so important because you can have a lot of fun, but you're not going to deliver the, the, the work if you don't get on with it. You, you, there's a limit to how much you can mess around or have a laugh. You have to be focused. And he, whatever he, you know, he wasn't well. And whatever he felt, he always stood up. When he was called, yes, sir, he would get up and he would go and he was on. Um, and as I said, you know, the last series, he was with a nurse and oxygen and we sort of all knew he wasn't well at all, but he, the audience would never have known. And he just stepped out, called in, called onto set, stepped out, delivered, same energy as he always had, same professional, you know, um, always knew his lines, absolutely fantastic. And then he, we heard quite soon after the, the last uh, series of finished filming, he went home and, and sadly died. So it was, it was amazing. He was an amazing man, extraordinary man, extraordinary character. And, and in fact, you're, you're right. He, he basically died in in the exactly same month that the series ended. Yes, I, yes. I'm he sure. was so ill. He yeah. was so ill. But you'd never know. If you see the last episode he did, you wouldn't know. And that that's amazing. That's Dr. Theatre, absolutely. You know, he, he loved it and he loved it. It was who he was. He was it, a real performer. It couldn't really go on without him, could it, to be honest? No, and they did these spin-off series the the pork pie where he'd won the lottery for for two years and it was fine it was it was good it, but it wasn't the same of course it wasn't the same and I understand that you know it was fun to do it was nice for us it was a different story different thing but it just that Desmond's was was so perfect 
Matilda, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much. Oh, a delight to talk to you, and lovely for me to be able to, you know, look back and remember it because it was it was a really special time for me. Distinct Nostalgia is produced by MIM, and there are loads more excellent shows to listen to on our website. Danny Rogers recalls growing up with 321's Dusty Bin. So my first encounter with Dusty Bin was my dad sort of wheeling him out as a young boy. I had no clue what this thing was, and I was frightened, of course, but as it went on, I was like, oh, this is my new best friend. <laughs> and I was one of the lucky few that actually had one in their bedroom. Kathy Gorey discusses the legacy of Rosemary, the telephone operator. Hello, hello. I had an effect on a bunch of Gen Xers, or maybe I was their first female crush or something, but I meet men, some of them quite powerful now, who grew up watching me, you watching Rosemary rather but I thought this is nuts and they let me do pretty much what I wanted to do everything was always rhyming some you call the police department or Hong Kong and that's that's what I thought Rosemary would sound like and John Boy himself talks about his childhood with the Waltons it was really one of the great ensemble TV shows I mean we had 11 regulars and although the story was told from John Boy's point of view one of the great things about the show was the main story could be about the little kid one week or it could be about the grandparents so you had all this wonderful generational comprehensiveness about it and so i would call it first and foremost a great ensemble these programs and many more are available at distinctnostalgia.com or wherever you get your podcasts subscribe to be notified whenever a new episode becomes available and if you like what we do then please consider supporting us on patreon every penny helps us to make even more amazing content just for you go to distinctnostalgia.com and click on the donate button thank you for listening and bye for now distinct nostalgia is brought to you in partnership with life rooms and mercy care nhs foundation trust We've lots of activities for you to do at home at liferooms.org. Staying well, staying home.